And if you want to open your Bibles tonight to Galatians 5, I want to talk to you about a fruit of the Spirit. And the title of my message is actually uh, Heart of Vision, Life of Discipline. Let's read Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23 together. Just give you one more moment. We got her on the big screen. All right, way to go. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So that's the fruit of the Spirit. That is like the definition of an excellent follower of Christ. Is if you have that fruit in your life, I mean, you've got the character of God. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. And the Bible actually says, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. I believe some of that fruit that Jesus was talking about is that fruit of the Spirit. And there's also things he wants us to do with our lives that are part of that fruit that we bear for the Father. But that last fruit of the Spirit, self-control, I don't think that's the most popular fruit of the Spirit. We like the joy. We like the love. Uh, <laughs> the peace, you know, it's like, oh, so peaceful and nice. Like petting a fluffy cat. <laughs> Sorry, I was just at my parents' farm where we have an in-depth cat conversation every time we're there. Amen, right, Logan? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, all these things. But then there's self-control. Self-control is not a fun-sounding fruit of the Spirit. And for this sermon or this message tonight, I'm also going to use the word discipline or diligence at times. Kind of an interchangeable shotgun approach to gather this concept of self-control or discipline. And let's, let's just kind of go over a definition. There's a few different things when you look up discipline or self-control. So discipline, as defined by the internet, <laughs> is a suppression of base desires and is usually understood to be synonymous with restraint and control. It means you just don't do whatever you want. You're controlling your urges, what your body wants to do. You want half a cheesecake? You only have a quarter of a cheesecake. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're controlling your body's desires that may not be in your best interest, usually aren't. Self-discipline is, to some extent, a substitute for motivation. Discipline is when one uses reason to determine the best course of action, regardless of one's desires. Virtuous behavior can be described as when one's values are aligned with one's aims, to do what one knows is best and to do it gladly. Hmm, okay, Internet, thank you. I thought this was cool. That word self-control in Galatians 5.23, I looked it up in the Strongs, and they defined it as self-mastery. I think that's really cool. It said properly, dominion within, your spirit ruling over your body. And this isn't, now this is neat how it says, Proceeding out from within oneself, but not by oneself. 
So I want to make one thing clear at the onset of this message. When I talk about discipline and self-control, this is not you gritting your teeth as hard as you can, white-knuckled saying, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. This is you living a self-controlled, disciplined life by the power of the Spirit. Because I've tried, and I bet everybody in this room has tried doing it on your own. And it doesn't really work, does it? (laughs) And for a lot of years, I kind of, you know, I've wanted different things in my life and to be a certain way and to do certain things. And I think all of us have different goals and things. I really think we admire people who are disciplined in their lives. Even in the secular world, we look at these people who lead a, a disciplined, diligent life and often they're successful in whatever area they exercise that constraint. The flip side is when you see people who don't have that, I'll use actors as an example, what happens when they can't control their drug habits, their spending habits, their, man, you see all kinds of sad stories. Humanity is littered full of people who cannot stop doing the things they wish they weren't doing, things that are destructive, a lack of self-control. So tonight, what I want to talk to you about is something that I believe will help birth discipline and self-control in our lives, and that is vision. I never saw it like this before, that vision can actually be like a parent or the father of of self-control and discipline in our lives. Do you guys, are the lights okay, or do you want the, you like them? Okay, sweet. So again, uh, just to reiterate that there's no true self-control or discipline apart from Christ. One definition I've heard is it's giving up what you want now for what you want most. And as we start on this journey into the, the scripture, I want you to think of the day that you are gonna stand before Christ. You're gonna stand before his throne one day, and it doesn't have to be something you dread because we all want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. I believe diligence and discipline, we're called disciples, right? That's a big part of that equation. You don't want him to hear him say, or you don't want to hear him say, well, you're done, (laughs) good and faithful servant. (laughs) So, Point number one is simply this, which we've gone over here, that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. It's not a bad thing. In fact, it's a great thing. Take a little cruise through Proverbs and see all the rewards of the diligent. It's amazing. In Proverbs, it actually talks about how diligence is like sport to a person of understanding. It means somebody who has wisdom and understanding, it's like playing a game to them. They love it so much, being diligent. So point number two, I want to start talking a little bit about vision. And point number two is that God has a vision for your life, a specific vision, not just a general vision. Although you all know God wants you to be healthy. He wants you to be prosperous in your social relationships, your family relationships, your finances. He wants you to have a healthy, strong spirit. But the vision I'm talking about is some specific things that he may have spoke to your heart 
in your life. Specific things. Um, in Jeremiah 29, 11, you can write down the reference. You can turn there if you want. It's a very popular scripture. It says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. And I want to ask you or challenge you to think about the vision that God has put in your heart. And I don't think it'll be just, just be one particular thing. He probably has several things. Uh, I know someone was talking about how they had always wanted to do missions, and they had a chance now through going to the different reserves to start doing missions. Uh, some people right now, you know, you have a vision to be debt-free. Some want to start their own business. Some have a vision of a family member or someone being saved. Like all these different things that God can specifically drop in your heart. And I really think, as we'll see uh, when we look at the life of Joseph, that sometimes God will start giving us this like broad, grand picture in the distance and we have no idea at all how we're going to get there. But then it starts unfolding step by step, piece by piece. In the story of Joseph, in Genesis 37, verses 5 and 8, and you may turn there if you'd like, most of us probably know the story of Joseph. This guy was a dreamer, and he had a pretty rough time. And I wonder what made him tick, because I know that if most of us went through what he went through, we probably wouldn't have made it. But you got to remember this. Joseph was given a very powerful vision from the Lord, a very different vision than any of us have. You're going to be given a vision from God, or you, he has a vision for you. Most of you, many of you, he's probably already spoken things to your heart about what you're supposed to do, how you're supposed to live, how things are supposed to be, this picture of how things should look. I believe that is what Joseph hung on to in the darkest of times. And it set him apart. It kept him from falling into despair. It kept him disciplined. It kept him working diligently. It says in Genesis 37, verses 5 and 8, Then Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. This isn't like, we're going to give you a wet willy. This is like, we're going to throw you in a pit and kill you or sell you. That's pretty bad. <laughs> he said to them, please listen to this dream which I have had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose up and also stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. Huh, I wonder what that means, guys. <laughs> Let's see. I was the sheaf that was standing up. You were all bowing down. Isn't that interesting? I'd probably be pretty ticked at Joseph too if I was his brother. Then his brother said to him, are you actually going to reign over us? Or are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. The vision you have that God has given you, not everyone is going to celebrate it. But it was so strong in Joseph that when the trials and tests came, he stuck to his guns. He stuck to what God told him to do. And we see later, and we'll look at it a bit more, that when he was sold into slavery, he kept a great attitude about his life. 
He worked his honor to the Lord. He served his master. And I believe a lot of it, a lot of that discipline and diligence in his life came from the vision he had. He knew where he was going and it changed how he acted in the now, in the present. And you know, I don't think it was just one big thing where one day Joseph woke up and just everything was different. It was day by day by day, the small things, how he scrubbed the floor, how he responded to people, how he communicated, how he handled himself. Thousands, tens of thousands of little things all stacked up, all aiming towards that vision. So I put this towards you tonight, and this is kind of the heart of my, my little message to you, is that vision can and will produce discipline in your life. Self-control, diligence. Because you're going to be aiming for something. Chance, when we're at the gym, we have a vision of where we're going. Right? Chance is probably going to lift more plates than I could imagine. But he has a vision of that. He can see himself doing that. He's lifted that in his head before he's ever lifted it on the bench. And he's actually told me that. He's like, you can, you can lift more than you think. It's like that, I think, in life. But having that vision gives you the discipline to get there. And I'm, I'm going to use an example, uh, Olympic athletes. A lot of us admire Olympic athletes, and they can do some incredible feats of strength. But I think what we admire the most is the incredible discipline they have in their lives. Because we know how absolutely hard that will be, or would be, to arrive at the level they're at. You know, if you've ever tried to uh, have a really strict type of exercise regime, you know it is extremely difficult. And these people get to a level of finesse and fitness and skill that few people in the world ever reach. And they do it through discipline and diligence. Now, we're not all going to be Olympic athletes, but I'm telling you that I would say without exception, these athletes have a vision of where their life is going. And that's what gets them up at five in the morning. That's what determines their diet. That's what makes them train eight hours a day. That's what makes them even sacrifice probably some uh, finances. I mean, a lot of these athletes, they're, unless they get super famous, a lot of them aren't making a ton of money. But they have a vision of themselves on that podium, a vision of themselves being the best in the world. And they have a gift. They strive towards it, and that vision sets them apart, gives them diligence, gives them discipline in their life. Uh, the Bible says in Proverbs 29:18 that where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained, or the people cast off restraint. So now let's flip that around, and I'd say where there is vision... The people are restrained, moving towards a goal together. Um, I just had the amazing experience of being in the Middle East. I was in Saudi Arabia for some business meetings. It was, it was a very interesting experience. I want to say to those you know, who were praying for me and, and wishing, wishing well and you know, interceding, I could feel your prayers. It was awesome. Uh, the meetings went well. All the stuff went really good. I'm very pleased. But some, they said something interesting in one of these meetings. This uh, person in the meeting 
was talking how she was invited to this, this gathering um, in Saudi Arabia. And she didn't realize how many influential people would be there. And she said, so they're in this room. There's maybe three, 400 people. And the crown prince of Saudi Arabia walks into the room. They said you could feel the magnitude of this guy's presence. Just saying how for three years they brought in the best tutors and consultants and visionaries and thinkers and planners from all over the planet. They brought them to Saudi Arabia and this guy spent three years doing nothing but dreaming about the future of the country and how to take their people to this, this better place. And he released this document called Saudi Arabia 2030. That's 14 years of vision. And this person said, you know, when it first came out, a lot of people she knew just kind of thought, oh, well, here's another one of these government documents, and da-da-da. But she said, in that meeting was the first time I believed and everyone else believed that it was possible. It sent chills down my spine. Why? Because a man walked in that room who had the vision. It wasn't just on paper. It was alive in that man's heart. It was, it was awesome. Just hearing it in the meeting. There's not a lot of business meetings where, you know, chills go up and down your spine. It's like, whoa, this is cool. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's a country that they, they're trying to diversify and change things and change who they are. I found out that uh, 65% of their population is under 35 years old. You can just feel the desire for change. It'll be interesting to see, you know, all these different countries in the, the Middle East and all around the world. God hasn't forgotten about them. He hasn't forgotten about them. He loves those people, and he has a plan. So that guy walked in the room and told them, shared with them this vision 2030. And I'm telling you about how vision will produce discipline. That vision is going to funnel and channel and change the resources of that entire country. Now that guy is in a position of very high authority to do something like that. But in your own life, you have your resources, your, your things that you're in control of, your little kingdom, so to speak, your dominion. And the vision and discipline you have can funnel all those things to, to build what God wants in your life. A great example of discipline, Noah. We don't talk about it a lot, but think of the decades he spent building the ark. How many of you have ever built something and, you know, it's, it's not turning out that well? I saw a, a video on YouTube of this guy trying to put a screen door in and he's like, trying to line this thing up, and he can't get it in. And finally, he just takes a screen door and smashes it and throws it over the, over the fence. I'm like, yeah, I know how that feels. <laughs> if you think every day Noah's just like, doo, doo, I'm going to pound this wood in. And man, he probably had so many, like, bashed thumbs and crushed fingers and sticky tar on his hands. Like, think of that. Think of all the stuff he went through. But you know why? He had a vision of the future. Every day, getting up, building this boat that everybody's laughing at you about. How would that feel? You know, we're, a lot of times we're so concerned about what people think, about what God's shown us. 
How do you think Noah felt when literally every person on the planet, even like his wife, I think, at times, telling him he's an idiot? Nobody, literally nobody believes in him. And yet they kept at it. And boy, when those floods started coming, he was the only one who made it. But it started, I mean, decades of discipline. And it all was birthed from the vision God gave him. In Genesis, or sorry, in, uh, in the book of Daniel, Daniel 1.8, popular story again, it says that Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Daniel had a vision of what he could become in this country, a vision that God had something great for him and his people. And for him, it started with a small choice. It was, it was food. Yet look at all the things it led to, all the things Daniel did in his life. But it started with a small bit of physical discipline in his case. You see in, uh, in Genesis 39, verses 6 to 18, it talks about Joseph. Things are starting to go good for Joseph. You know, he's managing his master's affairs. It says that uh, his master had no worry about anything um, that was going on in his house because Joseph took care of it all. And Joseph, you guys, again, you know the story. All this stuff's going well, and then one day, well, actually continually, this wife is trying to seduce Joseph and, and, you know, say, come on, sleep with me, sleep with me. Don't you think that took some discipline, some self-control, some mental self-control, some physical self-control? If Joseph had no vision for his life, he would have probably done it. I mean, if you're going nowhere, any road will take you there, right? Joseph knew what he was supposed to be. And when this great temptation faced him, the guy ran. The sad thing is, it ended him up in the slammer. He got thrown in prison. Now, you want to talk about mental discipline. Man, that guy went from, okay, you know, I'm starting to, like, getting good with this, this high-up official in Egypt. This is a powerful country. Like, yeah, I'm rising through the ranks. All of a sudden, bam, he's in prison. Like, from pretty much established in a fairly high echelon of society to the lowest of the low. Then what? Then what did he do? How did he not give in to despair or go almost mad. I mean, this guy's been thrown in a pit to die. He's been sold into slavery, finally works his way up. And he's actually honoring his master by refusing this wife's advances. And for that, he's completely and totally unjustly punished. He had a vision. And that produced, I believe, in his mind, because don't kid yourself, he had to fight he was a human being. He had to fight despair when he was in that prison. But that vision kept his mind strong and disciplined, saying, no, God said this. I'm going to believe it. That settles it. It says in Genesis uh, <clears throat> 39, 19, and 20, 19 to 23, it says that uh, <clears throat> Joseph's master took him and put him in the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the jail. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. 
The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail, so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. Even in jail, this guy comes out on top because he had a vision from God of where he was supposed to end up, and that, that changed all his actions. So I'm going to put uh, point number four to, to you is this, that self-control or discipline, it will produce fruit in your life. And again, it's not an exciting sounding topic, but it's awesome. It's an it's a awesome thing. When you start seeing some of the fruits of your diligence and discipline in your life, it's exciting. It's encouraging. It's God saying, look, go this way. I'll help you. Whatever it is. Maybe he wants you getting up half an hour before work to pray, to intercede for people. That's not easy to do sometimes, you know. That extra half hour of sleep feels nice. Maybe he wants you to be more disciplined in the way you use your words to bless or curse people. There's all kinds of things he could be speaking to you about. Uh, And those are just examples of different parts of your character. But if he has a vision for you in your life, there's going to be all these steps he wants you to take. And it's going to require obedience and diligence. And it will produce fruit. Hebrews 12, 11, It says that, and again, you can write the reference down. You don't have to turn there. Hebrews 12, 11, All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, Afterwards, it yields the peaceable, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. It's interesting. Discipline, self-control, it doesn't always feel good. So I got this interesting excerpt, and <clears throat> this is about a, an actor, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I don't condone everything The Rock does, but the guy's a very successful actor. Very successful. Listen to his training regime for Hercules, the movie. To look the part for Hercules, Johnson elevated his training significantly, using a six days on, one day off schedule for six months to help him bulk up. At the beginning of each morning, Johnson would complete a 50-minute cardio session before working on a specific body part, depending on what day it was, with his legs being the only muscle group that received more than one workout per week. This is a quote from Dwayne Johnson. I started working out pretty early, around 4 a.m. Ouch. (laughs) Unless you've got a baby, you're not getting up that early. When I'm filming, I do cardio and I lift before going to set. I train about six days a week, and even when I'm not filming, I get up between 3 and 5 a.m. just to train. I love training when the sun is coming up because it allows me to put on my headphones and step off the crazy treadmill that is everyone's life. I have my headphones on and I'm listening to my music and I'm 100% focused. There's no waste of time or effort when it comes to me and the weights. Um, And he says further, uh, I work out for about 90 minutes, maybe an hour and 45 minutes. And when I hit the gym, I train hard. I come to kick butt, clanging and banging. With something like Hercules, I was in costume and makeup for a few hours before shooting, so I'd have to get in in the workout early. That sounds pretty exhausting. (laughs) 
And while other actors may slack off with their training schedules once they've got a movie in the can, Johnson is among the minority of people who is in the gym all year round. And you can tell. <laughs> but here's the interesting part. As of last year, Dwayne Johnson is now the highest paid actor in Hollywood. He raked in $64.5 million from June 2015 to June 2016. He's eating the fruits of his discipline. And that's some pretty extreme discipline. Now, I'm not saying you have to be Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I'm not saying you have to get up at 4 a.m. to go running. But God might want you getting up at 7 a.m. to go praying. Or who knows what. But I think it's interesting that even in this secular world, the, the law of discipline and self-control yields results. Now, if he can do that, and I don't know what his relationship with God is, but boy, how much more can we do with the Spirit of God in our lives? And now, coming to my kind of final point, and it's all, it all comes back to Jesus, is that Jesus had vision and discipline in his life. In fact, he called his disciples disciples. I mean, the word discipline is right in there. But look through his life. Look at all the times he was up early to pray, where he prayed for hours into the night. Do you think that was easy? And I'm not saying you have to leave here and live some crazy, crazy hours and just go all nitty-gritty like, I was up till 2 a.m. praying and now I'm working at 7 a.m. You know what? God's got balance for your life. But it could be simple things. Like me, I, I never used to be a big Facebook guy. I started using it more and using it more. And for me, one of the things God kind of put in my heart was like, don't, don't spend so much time on Facebook. You know, the cat videos are hilarious, but hey. <laughs> and there's great stuff on there. There's great stuff. You know, but there's things, there's so many things in our world today that can distract us, eat up our time, just kind of be like junk food for our soul. And I, I think we really got to guard our hearts. God has no problem with you having fun and entertainment in your life, but he'll show you that balance. He'll show you where you can prune things, so to speak. But think of Jesus. What about when he was tempted in the wilderness? 40 days without, without food, without sustenance. What kind of self-control did that take? And how come he did it? You hear him talk over and over again. He had a very, very clear mission from the Father. The Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. His name was Jesus, Yeshua, Jehovah's salvation. He had a very clear vision from the Father, and it, it set him apart from everything else. He knew that he came to be the Lamb. And I'm telling you, no one on this earth lived a more focused, diligent, dedicated life than Jesus Christ. I have never prayed till I sweat drops of blood like he did in the garden. And think of that. Think of when he went to the cross, what it took. Like that's a level of commitment and self-control that we can't even imagine. Like we, we can't even imagine the greatest athlete or person on the planet right now, nothing compared to what Jesus went through when he walked 
the streets of Jerusalem to the hill of Golgotha, laid down his life. I mean, think of that. And he had a vision from the Father of saving humanity, and it drove him everything he did. In Hebrews 12, verse 2, it says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. The joy set before him. It was us. It was that vision the Father gave him. It says he despises shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We're his reward. He's the perfect example for us. I'm going to end with this. And we didn't even get to touch on the Apostle Paul and the incredible life he lived. Man, it's just, it's all over in the Bible. Abraham, think of what he had to go through. Moses leading all those people. Like the vision that God gave him produced so many changes in their lives. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 to 27. <clears throat> And this is the words of the Apostle Paul. That's 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 to 27. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. He had a purpose. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Friends, brothers, and sisters, I just want to encourage you tonight, wherever you are in your journey with the Lord, he's got another level for you, another step for you. And I believe that if you'll get, just refresh that vision he has for your life, it'll help you. It'll help you with fresh self-control and discipline in your spirit as you come to Christ, as you ask him for his help, and you keep that vision before you. It'll, it will change you. So I just want to say, have a heart of vision and live a life of discipline. Let's stand up and pray.